Red Reply listeners, this is Jacob. And this is Andrew. And we are welcoming our student guest today because we don't discriminate based on expertise. But he is an expert in the field of history and, and war and, and such things. And today he's an expert in animals and how animals relate to state relations. Hello, Mr. Rogers, Colby Rogers. Welcome to the podcast. Yes, thank you, Xander, for including me today. Would you like to introduce yourself with your with your uh, expertise or what's the word for things that you're Well, I'm just for? a budding international relations man myself. Uh, <laughs> I like many of you here and uh, who has taken Wayne Cox. So we all are interested in the world of international relations. Good stuff. And Very today, true. today we're doing animals because that's a cool topic, a little off the wall. And I've taken some notes on, well, the, the topic is broad. It's animal diplomacy, but we brought in Colby because he has some ideas of animals and their integration in war and, and spying and, and exciting stuff like that. So, Indeed. My understanding of the episode is that we're going to start with kind of the soft power application, so like diplomacy between states, and then we're going to move on right. towards the latter half to like hard power and how that kind of relates to war and those kind of relations, mm-hmm. if you can call them relations. This, the is, this is new to me, but I like it. <laughs> Anyways, so our fr- I, got a, I got a couple stories. I mean, animals have always been used in different kind of manners, like intimidation or gifts or even political leverage. Um, but it goes way back to ancient times as well. I know I wrote down a couple um, interesting sound bites or, or notes. Um, giraffes have been used in like Egypt in ancient times and then throughout middle, middle, uh, medieval ages. Um, it's said that Cleopatra gave, gave a giraffe to Julius Caesar, but the Romans didn't even know what it was. It was uh, they just called it a camel leopard because they thought it was like a weird hybrid. Um, I don't know if this buds any of your interest or this is lame. No, no, no. <laughs> it very much does. Uh, they use the giraffe. Like, they're like, what do we do with this thing? Because they thought it was going to be like a tiger. So they threw it in the arena and it's like, why isn't this thing just throwing down? Is this a fact? Huh? Th- this is a fact. Yeah. Oh, wow. They, they tried to throw in because in Roman times, right. the, it's a common place to have all these animals in the arenas. I, I cannot remember the figure, but they had close to 3,500 animals at one point. Really? Oh, well. The other had 5,000. They just send them a giraffe, and the Romans were just, like, confused. Like, haven't the Romans been to Egypt by that point? Like, well, I think, not I don't know. Wildlife? Not much for the purpose of, because giraffes are not northern African types. So uh, the Egypts ha- Egyptians sorry, had the ability to travel down the Nile and go more to Central right. Africa. And hmm. that's where they got that, because they hadn't seen a giraffe in like three centuries so it was a new revelation to them and so was this like like the first kind of instance you guys found or like did people just always send animals to the romans just like as gifts or well i think as- yeah it's for i mean i guess like the roman period is like one of the i mean colby you know better but like one of the first periods we know a lot about yeah um, in, in regards to animals and their use like in the instance that we're talking about here it's more so about a diplom- diplomatic maneuver towards the European courts, and that's where they're going with this. Hmm. I mean, I, I cu- uncovered like a few other notes. It was like there was some burial sites in Sweden that found large dogs that were considered to be shared between rich families in like the Iron Age. Mm-hmm. Um, and then yeah, Egypt, Rome. Um, King Henry was given three leopards. Um, I think he thought they were lions, but or vice versa. Um. But those, like those three lions or whatever, on the shield of the English soccer team, apparently, are some. Mm. You know, there's speculation that they're connected. Oh. It, it just was a uh, passed on from his um, 
shield or whatever, his like monarch, whatever coat mm-hmm. of arms. The London Zoo, they had like a polar bear apparently from, I'm assuming, they were assuming the King of Norway that gave it to um, King Henry or one of the kings and they would keep it muzzled and chained and then let it swim in the Thames to like fish for fish. But like so that it wouldn't escape, it was all chained up. I'm sorry, that's terrible. <laughs> I know, this is like centuries it's ago. terrible, but, yeah. but very interesting. It, it, I mean, you get a gift and then you just chain it up and are like, okay, I guess we'll just like give you fish. Every, this uh, it's, I don't think you want a polar bear running away in mid-London. So as we transform into the more modern day of 20th century, 21st century, True. we're looking at more panda diplomacy. So, right, China. Yeah, this is China. China has a, a central monopoly on pandas as the really? one region. Yes, really. <laughs> <laughs> not Mongolia? Uh, no, not Mongolia. They're more, they have tried using horses. Uh, they're famous for their horses, right. uh, especially well throughout history, uh, as gifting them. They do that a lot, and they have in the 20th century too. China leases and lends pandas to countries that they view as diplomatically important right so this it happened in the 1950s with the soviet union because of they were both communist countries and they mm-hmm. had those relations and they were pretty close at the time but now i've stretched a little bit apart but now it's 1972 that when richard nixon made his trip to china right famous uh, yep it was famous <laughs> that china gave two pandas to the u.s now the british are like why don't we get pandas so they got two pandas of their own. Then after that, it started the leasing program for Rent a Panda, and it was it's about fifty thousand dollars U.S. per panda per month. So oh really? They yeah, actually yeah. charge? Uh, yeah, they, they charge now. Huh. So it can uh, go up to a million, also like a million a year. Huh. Oh wow! Th- th- that's a lot of coin for a panda. But with that, you also get the prestige of having a panda. Fair. Right. So with having a panda, you host events for it you promote the panda a lot it's and especially since it's an endangered species now it's very important and i think there's close to 200 or so pandas left in the world only 200 huh? yeah really? there, there is oh, not, so like there extinct. is not many pandas left and china uses them to their well extent to just send them across the world and when the pandas there at the exhibits well zoos have cubs if they have them on the lease, then they'll send them back to China, uh-huh. and that's all go. Hmm. And it'll cost them, I think, it's four hundred thousand dollars per cub. The See, zoo itself. I didn't know they charged for huh? it. Like I thought they kind of just gifted it. Yeah, and, like, that, it was that's like a, how it started out. Right. Then they're like, we can make a profit on this because it's an endangered species. It's a right. prominent, like, right. and plus, right. who doesn't like pandas? Fair. Think about it. It's an endangered species. <laughs> and they're trying to get, like, they're trying to get the, like, they send two usually, right? And the, and the goal, I guess, is, well, part of the goal is to, like, have them made and then you can uh, keep yeah. one. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Canada okay. had one, I think, until last year. Um, and yeah, COVID, we, they... Yeah, we had uh, some at Toronto, and I think previously we had some at Calgary. But right. I don't mm-hmm. know about the ones in Calgary. I think we, did we still have the ones at Toronto? Uh, I think that, I think they were the ones in Calgary that were sent back during COVID um, okay. because like the supply chain, like they couldn't get fresh bamboo for them. Oh, okay. they were, they were due to go back in 2023, I think, oh. but interesting, not ending on necessarily a high tide, um, a high note with China and Canada relations. But, but yeah, China does use this as diplomatically. So they have sent like panels before, like they sent some to Scotland in, I think it was 2011. 
before because mm. they made a trade agreement for Atlantic salmon and Luana rovers because the high class society in China likes Luana rovers. It's a very high class car. Uh, I don't know the quality huh. though. <laughs> okay, interesting. It's a bit of leverage or not really? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit of leverage. It's more of a focal point for countries to have a panda saying you have a panda is a, a luxury resource that you can promote right more so so uh, you have a panda and no one else has a panda and it's my panda right <laughs> so like is this ever actually like have when have they used this against and they're state zoos like, too i think they don't really put them in like private zoos i think just because it's looked down upon yeah I not think to the, cut you off Sandra. i think the first ones that I w- i've mentioned here in 1972 were sent to smithsonian museum right zoo like, yeah it's not a museum but zoo and china has also used this before like during the malaysian airlines like 370 incident they were supposed to get a panda the day after the airline crashed really yeah they were supposed to get one oh well, actually two because malaysia we, we've was. Explained it. yeah malaysia was supposed to get two and they were not given the two and it was delayed for a few months because there was 153 chinese on the flight oh no and the chinese did not approve of how the malaysians were searching for the aircraft so they delayed it wow that's actually interesting yeah because now they have the ocean trade agreement with those in the area so it's it's more prominent that they, they got their pandas don't worry you worry <laughs> <laughs> interesting yeah so now we're focusing more on koalas and australia because australia is right. trying to replicate what china has done mm. with the pandas and koalas uh, they're about a rough estimate of between 35,000 and 57,000 to 2021 that's about how many there are within Australia. Okay, it's not as extinct as the pandas. Uh, no, not as extinct, but they are decreasing rather rapidly. Right. Hmm. Which is unfortunate for the koala population and for Australia, but for international relationists, if you think about it, the rarer it gets, the more prominent it will be within diplomatic channels. You'll be able to give the koala, and it'll be rarer and worth more symbolically. Mm. So unfortunately for the koalas, but for them... It's, it's worth more. So uh, as we move on, we see that Canada tries to perform their own uh, diplomacy in regards to animals. And we tried giving two beavers to Queen really? Elizabeth II in 1970. That's uh, so the, funny. That, that didn't turn out. They got out, rejected? Yeah, well, we didn't, it didn't turn out that well. She accepted them, but then she gave it back to one of our zoos in Winnipeg. So they, they, were, they gave it back? Uh, yeah, she. I, I don't know if it was her personally or, but yeah. It's like, what do you do with a beaver if you're a monarch? You, you got to give it to someone. <laughs> I don't think you're keeping in the Tower of London now since it's now a tourist site. Mm. You just got some beavers mm. running around with the ravens because they have ra- like raven cages. Like it's famous for that. Yeah. I don't know. Like in Canada, the beavers kind of looked as like a cool creature. But I yeah. just wonder, internet, like obviously it doesn't have necessarily the awe factor that like a panda or like a giraffe might. It's like a little kid doesn't necessarily go to the zoo to see a beaver. You know what I mean? No, but it could. <laughs> well, because you, you, you have this build-up for the panda before, like before we even had zoos, like you couldn't go see pandas. Really, they made it right. attractive. It was they, they made it popular. Yeah. So like pandas had this high pedestal to stand upon. Yeah, Zedong invented it. It yeah. was no longer. It was not. It was not a thing before. Yeah. The, the the beaver has not had that pedestal. The beaver will have its day. Yeah. <laughs> we, Canada will be on top. We need to rearrange our foreign policy to yes. promote beavers off power. 
Yes, mm-hmm. uh, Canada as a middle power and a member of the G7 will promote beavers. We have to. Ha- we have to. There's no demand right now for beavers or maple mm-hmm. syrup abroad, but we have to create that demand. Yes, uh, I. I would also agree. Uh, <laughs> as in our, uh, we are taking uh, polls three nine two. It is uh, right. topics in the Middle East, and I. I thought of that myself that we Canada would try and increase its channels in the Middle East by providing maple syrup. <laughs> Don't know what they'd be using it for, but I would like. Honestly, I think I saw a tweet somewhere by some like um bureaucrat in the government who was actually like talking about increasing the demand for maple syrup i think it was like thailand or something it was mm-hmm. interesting though oh. actually uh, i've i've i haven't seen the tweet but i've seen increase for trade in thailand for maple syrup before. interesting i mean it's like one of those like it's one of those few things i guess we can really i mean I don't, what, what's canadian cuisine poutine maple syrup is maple, beaver maple, tails is maple syrup speaking of beavers wow of course, of course. I, I had a story here. George Bush was given a nine-foot Komodo dragon as a gift from the Indonesian government, the largest Komodo dragon in the Western uh, Hemisphere. Yes. Uh, what, what do you do with that Komodo dragon? Donated it to Cincinnati Zoo. Oh, oh. well, yes. at least he didn't like give it back to Thailand. That would be really awkward. Well, like, that would be like. Queen well, moment. you see, he didn't get it from Thailand. He, he got it from Indonesia. He didn't sell it. Um, Cut that its out. Skin. Cut that out. See, it would be really awkward <laughs> if he just gave it back to Indonesia, right? <laughs> because that would be like what the Queen did, right? So, like. At least he gave it to a zoo in the country. Yeah, it's almost like, it's almost like the UK just doesn't care about Canada. So they're just like, ah, like the damage that's done by returning the beavers is just limited. Whereas like, I don't know, our, na- like, our national oil is not enough, important so. enough for them. We, we were going to try and send a Canada goose, but no, none of that. Ver- it, it, it keeps going south. Yeah. <laughs> I was joking about that, by the way. We got to that too seriously. Well, but Canada goose, that's interesting because like, I don't know, you see that like the company, right, and like. They're big in China, but then China was like yeah, big in China, but controversy around what it's made of. Yes, right. So we're we're gonna talk about man's best friend, and is the oh, dog. Yeah. Putin very much loves dogs, and even though we view him as a sort of tyrannical leader of Russia for the past twenty twenty one years, he very much loves dogs. And in two thousand, when he took power there, he was gifted a black Labrador Retriever. From, yeah. from Belarus, was it? Huh? No, oh, uh, this was out. from the Russian general and minister of defense. Uh, th- mm. This was Kony. Uh, we'll be talking about Kony later. Right. I mean, we made an Instagram post about uh, Putin and, uh, and Merkel, so if uh, y'all yes, are following uh, Red Reply Instagram, which you better be, I'll be checking. Yes. It's a cool, it's Speak a cool. of which, of which we're coming up to that uh, I said I was going to talk about later. But this was in 2007 that Angela Merkel and Putin met in Sochi. Mm-hmm. And the dog that was in the picture was Coney because he's a black Labrador Retriever. Mm-hmm. And Putin, it's supposedly that Putin very well knew because he was a former KGB and FSB. He, pro, he knew that Merkel was terrified of dogs because she was bitten by one in 1995. Right. So using that as a tactic throughout the meeting is pretty, uh, what's Put- the words? Putiny. Putiny. <laughs> Putiny. That's, that's pretty, pretty Putiny. It's bold. I mean, what else, like I mean, Bush, Bush, Bush had a thing with the dog too. I don't know. Did you see that? Did you stumble across that? No. Putin no, dissed his dog or something. It was like a small like what? Scottish terrier or something. He was like, you call that a dog? Oh. And so no, like, I, apparently I, I, inspired I did, I did, one of Bush's paintings because apparently he turned into the, turned into a painter post presidency. Oh. That's a that's a sidetrack, yeah. but uh, but yes, Merkel was afraid of dogs and. What a way to intimidate her for an energy talk. Yeah, I forget what she said. Uh, oh, I have oh, it yeah. here. Oh yeah, 
He's afraid of his own weakness. Russia has nothing. No successful politics or economy. All they have is this. It sounds wow. extremely like bitter yeah, and, and angry. And th- but this I mean... was a meeting to discuss natural gas in Europe because Europe right. is very dependent upon Russian gas, right. natural mm-hmm. gas, and has been trying to s- stay away now in the 21st century and look at more diversification in terms of its natural gas needs. Wasn't that a controversy, though? Wasn't, like, Trump or Biden trying to get them to cut off that um, that sea pipeline that was going into Germany from Russia or something? Uh, Did you hear about that? At one point, yes. But Germany's, like, still because, going through with it? Uh, well, I, I, think, maybe not I think the U.S. is trying to gain access into the European markets right. and sell okay. natural gas there. Uh. But uh, the Europeans are more trying to go the Middle East route. They're trying to gain access there. There's been some oil reserves off the coast of Israel, Lebanon. Right. That are supposed to be new and upcoming for Europeans. Is, isn't America the biggest oil producer in the world? Is that mm, is that wrong? Not for natural gas. Russia's the top for natural gas. Iran is second, but uh we're not gonna be dealing with Iran. <laughs> so Russia it makes sense for Europe. They already have the previous connection. Right. Eastern Bloc countries, they already have it. Plus like Germany was East and West, so they had East Germany already connected. And all of the other states that were under the Eastern Bloc, all the stands, Kazakhstan, Turkmenistan. Mm-hmm. Eminem song. Eminem song. <laughs> because even like in 2010, like this is continuing upon the, the dog segment of this, is another natural gas as they signed a deal with Bulgaria. And mm. he was gifted another puppy, and they had a contest to name the puppy. And it was a five-year-old came up with the name Buffy. <laughs> as, huh. So Putin and as, Buffy. As a, as a five-year-old does. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Change uh, the first letter to Buffy. See, a bunch of people lost it to a five-year-old. Uh, that's what we're saying. Oh. <laughs> well, was it a Russian five-year-old? Huh? I believe it was. Okay. I don't think Putin would ha- have an nat- na- international contest, contest and have the Russians lose. Fair. <laughs> yeah. Look at this five-year-old. It beats you. <laughs> Yeah, he got his third gift dog in uh, 2012 after the incident at Fukushima, uh, the nuclear plant in Japan right. there, because Japan asked Russia for assistance because they had gone through a similar scenario in 1986 during the Chernobyl incident as they knew how to deal with nuclear disasters now. And they had a liquid nuclear-capable uh, device to go around the waters of Japan. So they did. They did help out then. Um, yeah, the the, okay. the Russians eventually helped out. <laughs> eventually, interesting. Uh, it, it took it took a little bit, but yeah, that, they sent that as a good bull gesture. Uh, they they sent the Akita, uh, aka the Mean Dog, as we fell well know. <laughs> uh. Wait, isn't that Coney? Hmm? No, no, no. Oh, Coney. Coney's the black uh, retriever that was in two thousand. Right. Um, I believe Coney died in 2015. So yeah, he was the right around when Coney twenty whatever. Yeah. No. Anyways, <laughs> so yeah, the fourth dog. Future was... topic. Hmm? Future topic. Future topic. <laughs> so yeah, the fourth dog was in 2017 from Turkmenistan, and the more Putin loves his dogs. Yes, Putin very much loves dogs and is known for his animals. As he, there are many pictures of him shirtless on top of bears. He, his manliness <laughs> in a country of Russia, you, you have to be that way for, for right. Russia. Strong man image. Uh, the strong man image is strong man. Politics, but yeah, in this, it, it was more just the the symbolism behind it, because there is a video of the Turkmenistan prime minister, oh sorry, president, 
holding the dog by his neck, just holding up. Oh, I've seen that. Yeah, yeah. holding up by the neck. Then Putin comes over and grabs it and holds it. So it's showing him as a humanitarian side. It's right, showing he's his cradling gen- it. Yeah, it's holding it, showing his gentle side in this. Yeah. Hmm. Look at this. Look at this other strong man. Yeah, he's this guy's holding a, a dog up by the neck, a puppy up by the neck, and he comes over and he cradles it. Although technically, that's how like their mothers hold them, right? Yeah, it doesn't uh, hurt them, apparently. I so. Yeah, but, but I'm, I'm saying the but symbolism. Putin, Putin treats right. them as he would a baby. Mm, yeah. yeah, he's more benevolent looking as a result. <laughs> Post Botox. Post. Anyways, Khrushchev, uh, Nikita Khrushchev, apparently sent um, one of the one of the puppies of one of those USSR Soviet dogs that sent it in space to the Kennedy family. Really? Yeah, so that's interesting. Okay, that is like the best. That, that is a very interesting really? fact, yeah. I mean, you have a space dog? Fair, but not that, because that one would have died. True. Huh. Okay, true. It's true. funny, apparently this dog, the puppy, was like raised in a science lab, so it, it kind of got a bit um, a bit high-strung and, and nippy, so they kind of... Oh, Lord, okay. Yeah. But like, maybe that's, okay. that's, not, that's not surprising. It was cute for a while. Do you have some war, you have some war uh, stories or like uh, spy stories? power. Yeah, just more of the hard power aspects as animals have always been used in war when applicable. So you have the backbone of almost every military throughout history. Horses, mules, camels, donkeys. They are the transportation system. They supply. They have equipment. They act as hospitals. Well, sorry, ambulances to the hospitals. Mm -hmm. They act as communication lines. Pigeons are the mainstay for communication on the front lines. Even World War I, some part of World War II even where they would send out messages. There was one uh, pigeon in World War II. His name was Gustav. And he, during D-Day, he was sent back across the channel to tell those in high command that the invasion was successful, that the first wave had landed. It took him five hours, and he was given the, the Dickens Medal. It's a medal by the UK that was given to animals that served gallantly. Really. Interesting. Yeah, so that award was created in 1943, and then this happened in 1944. So, yeah, there's also dogs that lay down telephone wire, messenger dogs. Um, I'm sure you can imagine what messenger dogs are. <laughs> Search and rescue dogs. Dogs are very prominent. There's also medical dogs. They wore harnesses on them, and they had meta- just medical equipment attached to them, so they run up to soldiers on the battlefield and give them whatever they would need. Hmm. Also, a main morale. Well, more, more horses died in, in like the, one of the wars than like men, right? Yes, uh, there. Just in the first world war itself, there were 16 million animals that served. Whoa! Oh my yes, gosh. Uh, cool. even um, including doves, in- including <laughs> pigeons and doves. Yes, huh. uh, onto military mascots. Th- they they came in all shapes and sizes. Uh, soldiers found them wherever it may be: dogs, cats, foxes, mice, and even bears. Uh, th- this is the story of Wojciech. Uh, it's. Uh, it's a bear that belonged to the Polish Second Corps. And Wuszek was a Syrian brown bear that the Polish had uh, acquired in Iran. Uh, it was they, a woman had sold it to him just randomly on the road. It, it was surprising. And they made it their mascot and their badge uh, they had on their shoulder. And it traveled with them from North Africa into Italy. In North Africa, it, it saw them the soldiers washing up uh, on the showers, and it just went over and started turning them on, on and off, on and off, and they had a limited water supply, and oh. it was wasting it. Oh, the, the, they had severe shortages because <laughs> the bear had kept coming up and turning on the shower. 
<laughs> and sorry, what army was this? Uh, this was the Polish Second Corps. Because, okay. Um, this is during World War Two. Right. Uh, just to give a bit of recap, Germany splits with the Soviets, Polish, like they split Poland, and th- these are Soviet prisoners of war. And the Allies negotiate; they get them back, and they're traveling from the Soviet Union down through Iran to North Africa, and th- that's how they found. I don't know how they say it in Polish, but is it, my pronunciation is Wuchek. And he didn't have any military applications? He was just like the mascot, like just chilling um, with them? That's how he started. Then he began to haul artillery pieces as he was assigned to the 22nd Transport Company of their artillery division. So he, he transported them, and there is not much credibility to the next part here, but he was supposed to have... Uh, loaded the artillery pieces because he mimicked and watched the soldiers as they loaded the artillery guns and he supposedly did that but mm. there's not much credibility to that mm. so it may just be a story but yeah their patch is of a bear hauling an artillery shell okay thanks colby for coming on yeah, yeah, cool. thank you thank you for joining us we loved hearing your perspectives and your knowledge of which it very deep us, knowledge it would I take us say. quite a while to study to know all that to bring up the podcast yeah if any listeners know or themselves are experts in anything or know a lot like colby then we're more than welcome to have you on if you have an idea for a podcast um we're not just gonna have professors or other people like if your students want to come on absolutely please follow us on instagram follow us on facebook follow us on spotify make sure you see when we post our episodes true follow us on, on whatever you listen to your podcast on if we're there Absolutely. So thank you so much for listening to the Queen's International Affairs Association's Right of Reply podcast. I'm Xander. I'm Jacob. And that's Colby. (laughs) See ya. And he's Colby. Goodbye.